time welcome to the goodies pirate podcast i'm dave i'm richard i'm tom i'm rob and this is the final of our finale specials the final act where we're going to be looking back at all of the goodies so what we're going to do in this special is have a bit of a chat about the entire series looking back at what we've just done which is watch 76 episodes of a TV series from the 1970s. We're also going to have a bit more feedback from you, the listeners. We'll have our own personal top tens and we'll discuss that and a couple of other things. So, looking back at the goodies now, we've all just watched the entire run from start to finish in order. First of all, what are, what are just some general thoughts about that experience? It was an experience. Admittedly, I didn't get to watch every episode. I think I joined <gasps> mid-season two in, in the podcast range, so I did miss those early ones. But it was good to actually go back and revisit them all. It's been years since I've actually sat down and done a concerted effort on watching mm. the movies. Look, I have to say, I have really, really enjoyed going back through them again. There are some great material in there. I'm a bit sad that it's taken a project like this really, actually, for me to sit down and go right through the series. Mm. You can argue that it's dated. You can argue that some of them perhaps haven't aged that well or whatever. But I think there is some very, very clever and very, very good comedy in there. For me, it's the first time in literally 20 years that I've done a full run from start to finish. Mm. And the last time I did that, the impetus was somebody had a copy of them all on VHS and gave my father and I a copy and we sat down and watched them all as we were dubbing them, basically. Yeah, so I don't think I've ever done the series right through in order. Mm. What really struck me is The Goodies has been a series where I've gone out and I've watched the ones I know I'm going to like. I've watched my personal favourites mm. or the classics. And partly because, other than you know, a VHS somewhere in the back of my dad's cupboard... I don't have copies of these things, particularly once they're taken off YouTube. You know, there's no easy way to do it unless you go down and find the episodes like we have. And so there are a lot of episodes that I was very dismissive of, or I'm not going to bother watching that one, I know it's not very good, that suddenly I've watched it again, whether it's just because I'm giving it fresh eyes or I'm older or watching in context, and there are some that have really surprised me. And mm. I'm really, really glad I saw them again. We're going to particularly focus on episodes like that later on in this episode. But there's been a lot of you know really good stuff that... It, had I not done this project, I would have just continued to dismiss. I'm really glad I haven't. Yeah, and that's probably a point I'd pick up on. There would be episodes in here I wouldn't have watched if we hadn't been doing this. And i really actually happy, as I said, that we, I had a framework in which to watch them. Like all of you, I'm really glad that I you know, sat down and made the effort to watch it. And I have really, really enjoyed going over these again. I suppose I was initially worried that the love that I had for the show was purely based on nostalgia. And I'm happy to report that having watched almost all of them, there is... Basically, in almost every episode, you know, something to really enjoy mm. and really laugh at. Great experience watching them, researching it, sitting down with you guys and, and chatting about it. And um, yeah, it's been worth the effort and hopefully the audience has found the same. One thing that I think we need to do is look at each of the goodies themselves. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to start with Bill because he has been a really big revelation to me watching this. In two ways. In the early series, I was really, really staggered at how long it took Bill Oddie to really get his character into goodies. There are some very strange episodes out there. You look at something like Cecily, for example, where his character is just really odd, you know, he's mm. it's really, really strange. And it takes him, we said at the time, quite a while to get into it. But what I did find as well is that when Bill Oddie is given a really meaty role, when he's given the lead in an episode, he is incredibly good as an actor. He also corpses a lot and giggles a lot. <laughs> 
But I was really impressed by Bill Oddie. As I say, it took him longer than the other two, I think, to find his character. But Bill, given the lead, was a revelation to me. I'm really pleased I noticed that. Similar for me. I mean, look, my favourite goodie growing up was always Tim. But having watched these through, I've got a whole new appreciation for Bill. And I've got a whole new world of appreciation for Graham Garden. Mm. Well, I can only echo what Richard's just said. In my mind, it, Tim was the one that stood out for me most when I was mm. a boy, and that may be because of his more hysterical at times portrayal. It just stands out. But going back, and I think we pinpointed this really early on in our recordings, it's Graham who is the spine or the centre of the show, and it's his physical comedy and his his performances that really centre the show for me. It, it all seems to spin around Graham basically. Mm. I, I could echo part of what you said there. Graham was my favourite goodie when I was a kid, uh, possibly because I was a bit of a nerd and. So kind of related to him and his character a little bit more, maybe, I don't know. But look, I mean, we, we've said it so many times over the last 70-plus episodes now in this podcast, the number of times where Graham was our favourite gag, Graham stole the show, Graham's mm. physical comedy was something that we saw. And, and again, having been able to have the chance to see the development of Graham's physical comedy and the, what he's done and his tropes and the things, and we said at the time it really came to a head in Animals, mm. where all of his stuff... His prop comedy, his physical comedy, his pet's corner routine stuff, kind of just sort of all came together as a, as a big culmination. But yeah, Graham has been phenomenally good. And a lot of our listeners have been saying that as well. And it's, it's odd that we, we think that early on Bill wasn't really there, or there wasn't a set, settled character, when he's one half of the writing team. I mean, all the good lines seem to be going towards Graham and, and Tim. And Bill leaves himself out in a sense. And I think it, it's only really when maybe Superstar rolls around that Bill's given that sort of starring role. Yes, yeah, I remember saying that at the time. It comes to life, in, in effect. Mm. And I, th- I think that gets down to Bill was probably the least comfortable in front of the camera. So I say he always he liked the background stuff, doing the music, doing the scripting and everything else, that he'd probably purposely but let it's, it's other people take you, that line. It's line funny line. because you never saw that, you know, that lack of comfort on the screen. No. I mean, he's the one who's almost corpsing. You know, so he's enjoying himself. He's enjoying the lines, listening yeah. to the lines, yeah. saying the lines, reacting yeah. to the, you know, the, the coffee in the face or whatever. What about Tim? How do we feel about Tim after seventy-six episodes? I, I look. I still think Tim's great. I, I think you're right. I think he probably not the face of the goodies, but he's probably the one you're immediately drawn to because he's got most of the iconic uh, moments. Yeah, probably the iconic moments and probably more of the leader hysterical those sort of moments I think where he's he's really the focus of attention where he's doing I'm a teapot or he's panicking or he's doing his patriotic speech where the other two are deferring to him and we did notice that watching them all in a row as we have the number of times the number of episodes in a row where it is two versus one Mm. and the one is Tim Mm. and Tim is really given that whole half of an episode to carry himself that really came across I think Tim is a very capable performer some of his stuff I did find a little bit too silly at times, and I think that that was perhaps a weakness of him. Um, that's very personal taste. But no, very, very, very solid. But I think you do notice Tim is probably the first to really grab his character, mm. but he's also the one that, particularly when he drops out of the writing team completely, who starts to just get thrown very odd characters. You know, he's in drag a lot, he's in character a lot, and, and he's more of an actor than a, than a comedian. Which is probably interesting because I think of the three of them, he is the one who is least like him. Tim the Goody in real life. Right. He has sort of said the thing, well, one of the things, look, it's very nice to be noticed and people come out to him saying, I really loved you in the goodies, but there is always that thing people expect him actually to be like Tim the Goody when he's not actually at all. all. 
Another point that I think we need to make, and this is now going away from the actors and talking about the series itself, is just how much the series, and I'm going to have McAganita here too, in some ways stays true to itself in that the three goodies are pretty robustly similar across the entire Mm. run. Maybe in some of the LWTs it falls apart a bit, uh, but that's getting into the ninth series, how well those characters hold. But in contrast, you look at what they were doing in season one, where it's very much... The agency, they'll be hired every week by the guest artist of the week. And there was that sort of formula. How that had been completely junked by the time we got to the end of Series 8. And I made a, made a comment a couple of months ago that when we first started doing this podcast, I was spending a lot of time researching guest actors. Mm. By the end of the run, I was researching what they were satirising. Mm. And there was a really big switch there. Well, there is. And I mean, we mentioned it during the podcast because I do have that realisation that we're writing these great guest parts but the guest is getting all the good gags and all the good lines. You think of something like Henry McGee in The Music Master, which, I mean, he absolutely runs away with that. I mean, he's only in, what, two scenes, Mm. but he absolutely runs away with that while he's on screen. Mm. Or even John Pertwee when they go to Wacky Wales. I mean, again, he has that one big scene where he comes at the top of the stairs, and for the five minutes, it's it's really just the John Pertwee show. Yes, and it's very good. Oh, it is very good, but it's they felt clearly it was taking away from them. Yeah, Bernard Breslau is another one that I was going to give mm. a shout out to. Where yes. Again, he's only in the Sami end, but he completely leads that start and that end. Mm. I'm glad that they, I mean, I understand why they made the change, you know, give themselves the lines instead, mm. but I'm glad that they went with that sort of approach in that list, sort of the first three or four series, because it gives it variety, and it allows that big performance by the guest actor. And, you know, you sometimes you're watching a show for the guest actor, not the actual, uh, the, the regulars, necessarily. Mm. Sometimes. Yes. So. Was the show, in your opinion, consistent all the way through in terms of quality? Or was there a, a peak and a trough, or ups and downs consistently? What did you think of the quality? It felt to me as if it was on an upward move through its entire run, and perhaps it plateaued around Series 8. Look, you know, the first series I thought started middling and then there was a sharp bump up with Pirate Radio goodies. And then it just seemed to be sort of moving on up, I felt. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt that there was a growth in quality over the first one to two seasons. Mm. I, look, I, I said at the time my favourite season remained season eight. I think they are really good at the end. But I do think that there was a peak in the middle where we got stuff like Bunfight at the OKT Room, Scatty Safari, movies, all of that sort of run of episodes. I mean, we just were saying at the time... That was classic after classic after classic. Oh, for sure. I think Series 5, and I think certainly the second half of Series 5, Yes. I think is in some ways perhaps their high watermark. Although having said that, having gone through the episodes, I'd also nominate Series 7. I think that's another very strong season. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, you think what's in that? I mean, it's got Alternative Roots, which we bigged up. I mean, it's got Scout Rages. Yes. It's got Earth and Asia, which true, we true. said was the best episode they did. I got a lot more out of Punky Business this time. Mm-hmm, true. Now that I'm old enough and probably get a lot of the references. I thought that was good. And look, I really enjoyed Walk Command performance as well. Mm. Mm. I agree. I hope that people listening to the podcast, having had a chance to listen to these, have gone back and you know mm. watched some of the later ones because I think it's the earlier ones that people have a greater memory of and maybe it's the later ones that have sort of dropped off a little bit. I think certainly here in Australia because it was the earlier ones that got repeated more, more often. often. And that would make sense. Yeah. yeah. And again, we mentioned the ABC flogged them very yes, hard yes. for 10 or 15 years. And one of the things I'm really happy about doing this podcast is being able to watch those last few BBC series because you're right, they, you know, Series 7 and Series 8, they are of a very high quality. Mm. Yeah. The show has moved away from its roots, yes. It's better for it, I think. Mm. 
there's more variety and they're not tethered to having to do something specifically be hired they're having adventures they're doing a story the LWT ITV series we went into that saying we were expecting very little how did you feel at the end of it? in fairness I would say it was better than I remembered it being I don't necessarily think it's as good perhaps as their BBC material there is some good stuff in there I think look we picked out a few highlights I mean look Graham as Arthur C. Clarke in Bigfoot I, Mm. I think is a highlight I thought Change of Life was quite a good episode. Yep, I enjoyed football. Yeah, the first half of football particularly was really good. Look, the first half of Snow White 2 actually was really funny. Lost it for me in the second half. but and, and that's probably the thing with the ITV ones, I think, for me. A lot of them are very good first halves, probably let down by weaker second halves. I'm wondering if that goes... I mean, we all spoke about the times in the BBCs that were, literally was a story of two halves. Graham would write part one, Bill would write mm. part two, or vice versa. I'm wondering if they follow that same formula into LWT. I'm very much with you, Richard. They were better than I expected. Mm. Uh, where they're low, they are unfortunately, in my opinion, very low. But there was a lot more good stuff in there. Whether they were whole episodes or half episodes, or even something like Animals and People too, where I, I know Rob and I got a lot more out of it than you and Tom did, but I thought there was still, even though it was scattered, there was some really good stuff in that episode. Mm. There was more good stuff in the LWT episode than I expected, but again, its lows were low, and I think that's what drags it down. Mm. I'm glad they did the LWT series. I think that there are very few goodies episodes that are consistently great from minute one to minute 30, and that what we were seeing in the LWT series was mirrored in what we were seeing in a large number of episodes from the, from the BBC series, particularly the, sort of the earlier run, where we did, as you said, Tom, first half good, second half not so good for whatever reasons. Mm. And I think we might have been saying that again in the LWT. It's the same writers, it's the same performers, it's essentially the same idea. It's just the vagaries and the variety that you get in just storytelling. Oh, and look, any comedy obviously has its good episodes and its bad episodes, and that's quite subjective. As we've mentioned a few times, I mean, ones that we really have really enjoyed, other people haven't. And, you know, there's ones we've been quite down on, you know, where we've had people write in and say, well, that's actually one of my favourites, and I'm really disappointed that you didn't like it. Yeah, absolutely. And and let us say on that, one of the things that we really try to do with this podcast, I hope we've succeeded, and listeners, you'll judge it, is we try to be honest. I think it would be very, very dull if we did 76 episodes of saying how awesome the show was. But where they've been weaker, we've really tried to explore and understand why it didn't work. I hope we've succeeded in that. And looking back, I, I, think, I think we've had some good discussions. Goodies in the Nick is one that stands out for me as a, a pretty good analysis of what we thought just didn't quite work and how it could have been better. But on the flip side, I mean, look, we've just been talking about what we think didn't work. When it does succeed, I think it really kicks yeah. major goals. Yes. It does, and we'll look at uh, some of our favourite episodes later on in this episode. Mm. Now... Every episode, we've always had a episode focused, what couldn't they get away with today? So to help wrap up our series, we're having a series-wide, what couldn't they get away with today? I say that a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but there is a conversation that we need to have about the goodies and their, their, their time, and where you know, some would say they're problematic, some would just say they haven't aged well. So let's start general. Do you think the goodies has aged well, poorly, or... Is it a little bit embarrassing? Some of it, I think, has not aged particularly well, and that's not even perhaps because of the uh, questionable material in it. It's more because whatever they're making fun of probably is no longer really relevant, or something like high pressure, which, and I know we keep coming back to high pressure, where 
I personally didn't get a lot out of it because, look, I really had no connection to any of the material I was making fun of. We have said fairly consistently through this podcast, and I think we've discovered and tested to, you know, as far as we can, the goodies does work better where what they are satirising is known to the viewer. Yes. Maybe a better example would be one quite recent one was Snow White 2. Now, I thought there was some really funny stuff in that, but obviously because there's no history of pantomime here in Australia... I found a lot of the panto stuff just went straight over my head. Yeah. What I worry about in terms of future appreciation of the show is that the current generation has no... Kids who are, you know, teenagers or in their early 20s, they have no understanding of any of the references in the show unless they actively go out and do the research. They won't know who Margaret Thatcher is or Dennis Healy. They won't know what the post office tower really is. They won't know any of that. So going forward, will the goodies actually drop into complete obscurity? That's an interesting point. By the time, by the time us diehards effectively li- and literally die off, <laughs> who will be there? Who will be there to remember them? But who, who remembers Abbott and Costello? Who remembers the Three Stooges? Oh, really? Me. Yeah, I know. But <laughs> once we're gone, who does? But There'll that's be the a thing. For, for film historians and TV historians, and that's very true. And look, my kids occasionally will watch the goodies with me if I if I've got it on, or even Three Stooges for that matter. But that's because I tried it teach them there. But try right. to raise them right. Try, yeah. <laughs> but it is that way. Unless someone goes out there and discovers it through DVDs mm. or YouTube or wherever they can get it from that sparks that interest. But They'll need a copy of Pixley's Super Chaps 3 in one hand and a remote in the other to be able to understand. My daughters, when they've sat down and watched it with me, it's the physical comedy mm. and the, the, special, the rudimentary special effects that have made them laugh. Mm. Everything else... But I suppose that's true really of any comedy isn't it i mean comedy obviously continually involves and what's funny continually involves you think of sitcoms we all laughed at 20 years ago contemporary stuff that now you sort of watch and just cringe yes married with children hello it reminds me of that line from the simpsons where they're going and looking back and she's mad where um bart and milhouse turn to each other and go wow they're really getting stuck into this spiro agnew guy he must work there or something. <laughs> <laughs> well that's and let's face it even the goodies made fun of, of agnew well, I was going to say one thing I have probably enjoyed about the podcast is actually going through and trying to work out what it is they're lampooning in a lot of those episodes. Yeah. It, it has actually been sitting down. There are some episodes there where I really went and put in, and, and again, high pressure was one, where I went and put in quite a bit of work just to try and get all the references. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, you can't do that on a podcast episode because then it just becomes an hour of us stopping oh, yeah. while we explain what this gag is, and you can't do that. But So... To people who stumble across this podcast in the years to come and they'll outlive us, is the advice to, before you read, you know, discover the goodies, do a bit of research. Of the decade, for well, instance. The thing is, again, look what the goodies evolved into in, in Series 7 and into Series 8 where what the lampooning was very overt to the movie of the time. You know, they, they ripped off Superman, they ripped off Six Million Dollar Man. Close Encounters. Close Encounters. And, and that's the thing. All of that stuff. And is that then where they went, I won't say wrong, but they they changed path again it, away from that lampooning that made that last series of the BBC so good? It depends on what it is. Because I think as long as stuff like Jaws and Close Encounters and Superman is something that people who are willing to look back at the past find they will get a lot out of the goodies but even some goodies episodes work if you don't get the references i was an episode like the music lovers which even if you don't know who Cyril black is and who some of the other stuff you at least understand the plot of 
there's this guy, he's still in the musicians, and all the stuff really good, he still works. You probably don't appreciate it on quite the same level, but let's face it, I didn't know who Silver Black was for the you know, first 20 years that I watched the goodies, mm. and it didn't really improve the episode knowing who she was. She was a lady who had a very high-pitched voice and a scouse accent. And adjacent to all that, you, you can't criticise them, not that we are, but you can't, can't criticise the goodies for strip-mining the popular culture of the day, because they're, they're doing it for the, they're doing their performances for the broadcast of the transmission well, day, they are. not for 40 years later, no. for a bunch of sad old grey-haired men like us. Well, I was going to say, actually, that, that is an interesting point, Dave, because watching the goodies as a kid, I mean, I wouldn't have known probably 80% of what they're making fun of. So then, and, and to undercut myself from earlier, the show has enough material in it for your 30-minute runtime. It's jam-packed with side gags and, and, and vocal well, gags and all that. That you can get past. Well, I think the, the good ones. I think yeah, I, I, yeah, to the next joke that you understand. But, yeah. but is it more a case, perhaps, that your appreciation and why you appreciate the series changes as you get older? Because when I was a kid, as I said, I wouldn't have got probably eighty percent of what they're making fun of. But as a kid, you probably really like it because they get in the zany situations and they do a lot of side gags yes. and a lot of slapstick. But as you get older and you start to probably watch them again, all these jokes that you probably didn't get at ten or eleven now suddenly start to make a lot more sense. To give you a specific example, look at that scene in The Kick in the Arts where Graham's doing his whole Kerry Thwacker bit. Mm. As a kid, you don't know who Kerry Packer was and why this is funny, but Graham's sitting there doing a really funny voice and doing some good gags, and who cares? Yeah. Then, then at some point you realise who Kerry Packer was, you go, oh, that's a Kerry Packer reference. Then you learn all about the World Series cricket and all that sort of stuff, and you get even more of it. Talking about the goodies legacy, we need to have a talk about specifically some of that more, in inverted commas, problematic stuff. I remember a few years ago when I discovered that The Goodies was all on YouTube, mm. and one of the first episodes I went to watch was South Africa. Now, I then went through the comment section in that, and I've got to tell you, 50% of the comments were people who had clearly discovered this for the first time, going, oh my God, this is the most nasty, racist, inappropriate TV show. I cannot believe they made it. They must be horrible people. And the other half of people going, no, don't you understand what satire is? But I think that's true of a lot of shows if you watch a lot of that sort of stuff. I mean, I and look, this probably isn't the, the forum to have a big discussion about racism in TV and comedy, but I did watch recently Spike Milligan's series Curry and Chips. Why would you do that to yourself? <laughs> look, Spike Milligan is a legend. Spike Milligan is a legend, and it is an interesting cross-section of what was going on because look race and immigration was a big deal in post-war britain you know as they started in actual fact this is the weekend of the 50th anniversary of the rivers of blood speech yes well that's the thing and of course they'd been through stuff like that the Notting hill riots etc their experiences obviously were very different from ours we obviously got more probably southern european and eastern european migrants here but if you look at those sort of comedies and i mean everybody now looks at stuff like you know till death do us part or It Ain't Half Hot Mum. Um, well, yeah, well, I was actually going to go with Love Thy Neighbour and indeed Curry and Chips. And then there was the second one Milligan did called The Melting Pot, which I think never even got past the first episode. The intention really of some of those comedies was to be satirical. It was a case if you look at Till Death Do Us Part and Alf Garnet, look, obviously he's meant to be racist, he's a bigot, he's whatever, but he is meant to be the stupid character. And of course, he is constantly one up by everyone around him. He's proven to be wrong every single time and he loses, in effect, every episode. But the problem they found with that was 
that there was a cross-section of the community who thought, this is a character for us, he can say the sort of things we can't say, and of course latched on because of that. And became the most popular character. Yes, and, and Love Thy Neighbour was much the same. I mean, that was intended to be a sort of a satirical look at racial relations. Jack Smithen is obviously, he's the racist character. He doesn't like having a coloured family living next door to him. But if you look at Rudolph Walker's character, he is every bit as unpleasant and nasty in a lot of the situations he as go- Eddie Booth. He goes out of his way to bait. Yes, he does. Eddie. But the problem there became that they used a lot of racially insensitive language. But a lot of Love Thy Neighbour is actually just standard sitcom one-upmanship. You know, one gets a new car, so the other one has to get a new car. Or one wants something in the shop that the other one sees and they go to war over it. It's that sort of stuff. But there was a lot of problems there with a lot of the language that they used. And there are anecdotes of, you know, coloured teachers and that in Britain being called all sorts of things because they'd heard it the previous night on love thy neighbour. point I was going to make about Karen Chips is if you go and watch that, half the audience is this is terrible, racist, how can you possibly do this, how is this ever made? But you then have the other half who say, well, if you actually watch it and look at what's being shown on screen, yes, Kevin O'Grady, which is Milligan's blacked up character, and yes, it is blackface, is seen he's being picked on by everyone around him and he's being treated really poorly, but he consistently shows himself to be more intelligent and a much better person than any of the people around him, and quite often he wins the situation and one-ups all his colleagues. But overriding that, wouldn't it have just been better to cast a coloured person themselves? Yeah, but well, no matter how noble his performance is and how he is above everyone else and he gets above it, you've got a white man in blackface doing that role... Okay, so there are two points there that I want to pull out and have a quick discussion about and, and link these back to the goodies. The first one is that idea, Richard, that you brought up there of portraying something in order to condemn it. Mm. Now, I'm, I'm here going to call back to the comments of a director that, Richard, you and I are both fans of, Kevin Smith. Yes. Who does a lot of Q&A. And after he released his film Chasing Amy, which got a lot of critical acclaim... Yeah, I had this exact same note. Yeah, go yeah, on. Yeah, you did a Q&A. There's a moment in there where they make some comments about the lesbian character. Yes. And, and they are isolated very unsympathetic and he was called out about that in the Q&A and he said no but don't you understand I gave those comments to the stupid character like this character's had stupid ideas and stupid comments and stupid solutions for an hour and a half and then I gave them to him to show that this attitude towards lesbians is equally dumb and stupid and facile and he's then knocked down for it. My feelings on that have been the same since 1996 when I wrote it all the way up to this very moment when you said that. I don't see how someone can say that. Somebody will say that, like, oh, the film just strengthens the point that all any lesbian needs is one good man to turn around. Is that what you were saying? Sort of. Okay, but yeah. we have the idiot character in the movie, Banky, say that, hence deflating the argument. <laughs> don't you understand? Like, we put those words into the guy who's always wrong in the movie. So when the idiot says that, isn't, didn't you get the point that that's what I was saying? And, 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 I think that, and I think that's a very valid way to do stuff, but the, the, you know, the woman in the audience did say, well, but yes, he's still saying that. So with the goodies, you have a number of instances where they will actually portray a very negative social attitude in order to show that this is stupid. You see it in South Africa, you see it in Women's Lib, you see it in Alternate Roots. They are doing it to show that it is stupid. I think that that's a really interesting and valid way to do it. But I appreciate that by portraying their behaviour, they can be misconstrued. How do you guys feel about that when I'm back now? I, I think in comments on YouTube and wherever else that these things happen, but Korean chips or South Africa or anything else like that, is people refuse to see past their own indignation. 
they take a point of what they first see and that is what's going to carry me through the whole episode without trying to think further than what's there okay look i'll just raise two points where is the satire in the yellow pages gag that's just purely racist isn't yeah, it yeah I, I think that, that you cannot defend the yellow pages it just gag simply it, it just lands on the on the screen with a terrible thud and what is it the other thing and i look i agree with where you're coming from what you're saying dave but having people in blackface is just taking away an actual coloured person's identity. It, it's hard. I do think them doing blackface, and particularly after they've done alternative routes, I do think undermines their position. This was the second point that I wanted to pull out from the earlier conversation. We are living in an age now where, rightly, wrongly, and it look, it probably is right, blackface full stop is now verboten. Blackface itself as an act is now not portrayed and is seen to be offensive. That is very much in contrast to the past. And indeed, when you go right back to look at something like Al Jolson, mm. Al Jolson was doing his you know, Mamie routine because at that stage, black people were not allowed to perform and not allowed to perform their music in a lot of these halls. And his view was, well, if they can't perform it, I will do a tribute to it and I will educate people about Although this Although chronically music. underpaid, I think, was also his, one of his other big Yeah, but... um, he, he refused to appear on the bill with Cab Calloway unless Cap Calloway was paid equal money to him. Mm. Can I just ask, how is Al Jolson blacking up on stage helping the black community, though? Uh, because his argument would be that by portraying this as a enjoyable piece of culture, people might then go and seek it and look for it. I, th- I think, again, the Olsen era, I mean, we, we, we are talking so far before the uh, civil rights movement that... That, that is just a whole different set of politics. I believe, and then there was a nascent um, civil rights movement in mm. America in the early 1900s. I'm fine with where you're coming from, Dave. I just think that, you know, if the justification is that Al Jolson and other people who are blacking up are exposing white people who would never have seen black culture at all is a justification for it, I don't know. I just think it's... I don't think it works. Look, look I bring the example up not so much as a justification but as a bit of historical background. Yeah. And, and I guess to say that Blackface isn't automatically a ridiculing or a satiring or an appropriation. It is sometimes meant well. Now, now, even if it comes across badly, that shouldn't have been done. You can be nuanced enough, I think, to look at intent. And in some cases, the goodies, I think, have got very good and positive intent. In other cases, they're just going for the gag. I was about to say, having said that, most of the times they do it in the goodies, it is to get the gag. So one of them is blackened up by an explosion. So, of course, we will initially go into a bony M-type number or we'll do the jazz hands. Satirising, however, a show that was a top five show in the UK at the Mm. time, which doesn't make it better, but Mm. you you get the piece of satire they're reaching for. As I say, I don't think it necessarily makes it better, but... It's not as though they've made it up and they are satirising something that was mm. in the culture. You can't sweep under the carpet issues of race or depictions of race. And so it's understandable that they go there, I suppose, in the 70s. And it, it was just in the, in the... It's in the zeitgeist, isn't it? Look, yeah, I mean, it's the easy... Back, and even today, there, it's, it's in the air. Well, I, I, I just think that perhaps during the 70s, they didn't need to go there, perhaps. No. They, they could have... The show would not have lost one iota of laughter by not just touching race at all. No. And Unless I was, you were doing something like South Africa where you, you know, you, you have to, you, you can't avoid it. I was going to say, the easy argument, I guess, is that they, what they were doing was no different from what you would see on other comedies. Now, I think you're right. I don't think that excuses it. And I mean, look, it's not just racism. There's a lot of sexist attitudes in the goodies. Yes. Again, some of them are done to lampoon, but some of them are done for the gag. And, and I think it was very much some of those sexist 
gags that we particularly pointed out during our run as just being really very, very uncomfortable to watch now. Yeah. Let's be honest, we called out some rape jokes in there that would just... Yeah, I was going to say, because that probably brings us to the point, I mean, the two that we really did sort of do the, oh dear, was obviously the rape joke in Invasion of the Moon Creatures. Yes. And the domestic violence incident in... Strength. In Strength. But even as late as Animals of People 2, Tim is screaming rape on being raped on being raped, if you remember, Mm -hmm. and for a laugh. Mm. Yeah. So... I guess what we're saying here is that we love the goodies, we enjoyed the goodies. I think that we can say there are times when they did overstep the mark. Yes, you can justify it as being of the times, but even then, some of it was pretty out there even for when they were doing it. But I think overall, their intentions were generally very good. And the fact that they did episodes like South Africa that had an overtly liberal message in them... I think shows that their heart was at least in the Look, place. Look, they, they certainly are not racist. No. They so are we're... racially insensitive, I think, is probably more... At that time. Yes. yes. But then again, look, what perceptions are what acceptable changes. We have talked off-air about 10 years ago in sitcoms. Doing what they used to call the gay panic episode was yes. perfectly acceptable, where now you couldn't do that. No. No, it was as recently as Friends. I mean, Taylor mm. Bing's character was... Oh, Friends. Um, Cheers. Yes. Uh, How I Met Your Mother. There's the episode of the US Office. Yes. But, yeah. Yeah, look, society evolves. We can't expect the goodies to... No, and it's hard to... We are viewing this through 40 years of progressive culture since, so... I come back to, did they cross the mark at times? Absolutely. Was their heart in the right place? And can you still enjoy the series even with these problems? Absolutely. I I agree. For all that I've said, I'm more than happy to allow my kids, for instance, to watch the show. And if it comes across something that's problematic, I'll explain it to them. Yeah, that's exactly the point. We also had to have the Rolf Harris and Jimmy Savile discussions while we were watching the episodes. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that's going down a whole different rabbit hole, but... And at the end of the day, I would rather have these in the culture, watch them, and then have a conversation about them and what we've learned and explain them, as you said, Rolf. Exactly. Then pretend they don't exist. Having had that slightly serious discussion, but I think a very worthwhile one to have looking back over the goodies and particularly having watched what we've watched, we're now going to hear from our listeners. So as we did in our Christmas special, we've got some of the comments from social media about various episodes, and we're going to read a few of them out. So I'm going to start with Almost Live, where we had several comments. Jim Williams says, Too old to be a teenage idol, too young to be a mother's pet. Are we just the in-betweeners everyone tries to forget? Do I love the goodies? Too bloody true, I do. (laughs) That was, I think, one of our favourite songs in the episode. Jeff Cotton says, Absolute classic episode, always comes to mind easily. Um, And this is an example of one that we did struggle with, but yeah, that's in his mind a classic. I didn't. And Adam Deverell. I appreciated it more when I got older. Always disappointed watching repeats when this came on. Oh no, the one where they sing. (laughs) I think we said that as well. I love the country and western tune, especially where they attempt to sing harmony in the line, or a chicken get flattened by a train. So that was our comments on Almost Live. And uh, the next episode we covered uh, and was commented on was Alternative Roots. So some of these comments uh, include one from Andrea Finn, uh, Hunt for the Haggis. Bit of a non-secretor there, but anyway. Mark Regan says, Ah, Dougal, you'll have your teeth... Laugh out loud. Okay. Andrea Finn, Hoots, Fruits and Toots. <laughs> a bit better from me. Uh, Matthew Paul, We Shall Overcome. Vanessa Puzzi, I love this episode, hilarious. Uh, Chris Cocking, goodies, goody, goody, yum, yum. And good on you, Graham. And then Adam Deverell says, Graham shines again in the Hoots segment. I don't remember much about the second half of this, but always loved the secret life of the goodies in the first few segments. I was so inspired by Hoots, I wrote a children's story for college called Dumb Fungus McGregor, which basically rips Hoots off, including the wild haggis. 
Great stuff. For Scout Rages, we have Andrea Finn, World Domination Badge and Tim Save of the Day with the Salvation Army. Jamie Lex Umwood Adam, dip dip dip. Vanessa Pussy, I have my wig spotter's badge, smiley face. Adam Unwin, I know this episode pretty much by heart, as do I. Suzanne Carr, awesome now that's scouting. Chris Cocking, gotta love the goodies. Savo Collegia, best show growing up, so bloody funny even now. And Adam Deverell, agree with you guys on this one, really, really strong start. Love Graham's intimidation of the 500 bobber job scene. I think the scout theme is so strong that because there's some real substance behind it. It felt like a satire of the McCarthy Red Trial Salvation Army parody was a lot funnier when I was 10. <laughs> That's, I think, pretty much what we said about That's it. Right, yes. <laughs> Next one is from Punky Business. Uh, Greg Tom, who says, I'm going to go punk. Wait on, I'll open a window. And Adam Deverell, who says, really entertaining podcast, lots of background information that I never knew. It is an uneven episode. The Punkarella segments get old. But I love the little laddies and the restaurant scene a lot. Where I do disagree with you guys is Bill Lottie singing I'm in love for the very first time as Willie Snot, which was brilliant slapstick. He didn't change his expression at all. Completely deadpan as he dropped bowling balls on his stomach and used a giant nutcracker to painful effect. I love this scene. One of my favourites. Great song choice too. I'm hoping that's for my uh, insert in the opening credits. On politics, Harry McLean says, Is that to meet him with a fantastic hit song... Don't cry for me, Argentina. And Andrew Finn says, just simply, don't cry for me, Argentina. <laughs> I think that's the bit that everyone remembered from that. Uh, so the next episode was Saturday Night Grace. Uh, we've got Suze Townsend, LOL, one of the best. Uh, Les Bush, John Revolting. Uh, Grant Wilwright, those carrot pants. Um, okay, <laughs> Vanessa Pusey, <laughs> Oh Bandy. Uh, Gary Loveday, one of my favourite episodes. Glenn uh, Hewitt, uh, another great podcast in this episode is one that I have had on high rotation over the decades. The musical medley at the end has some ingenious visual touches, most notably the umbrella sequence rolling down the road. The edit here is absolutely flawless between the goodies and the rogue umbrellas. It's an episode which I found I gravitated towards more as a kid, mainly because I got many of the references, village people, Greece, etc. In fact, this was pretty much the case with this series, especially you friend or you foe. A kick in the arts. Uh, Glenn Hewitt says, A Kick in the Arts is one episode I haven't watched very frequently. I remember back in the day not being overly excited about it. Maybe it's time for a rewatch. I'm certainly looking forward to your overview of the next episode. For anyone interested, there's a book called BBC VFX, which does a little coverage of the goodies special effects. As always, keep up the fab work. I do remember responding to that one saying that, yeah, I had actually completely forgotten about the BBC VFX book. And yes, there is uh, several pages in there on the goodies. That is quite a good book too. It is, yes. Yes. Mark Leonard, one word, ecky thump. Adam Deverell, the only thing I remembered about this episode was the table tennis scene, so thanks for the recap. The British Olympic team is probably the best funded in the world now, so no wonder it feels dated. That's a very good point. Okay, you friend in UFO. Mark Fitchu goes, EBGB, love this episode. And Glenn Hewitt, this is one of my all-time favourite episodes, and it also helps that the show touches on all things sci-fi, a genre I love, most notably Star Wars, Close Encounters, Doctor Who, and Superman the Movie. I swear that they blew most of the Series 8 budget on the spaceship, which really holds up visually. Looking forward to your overview. Probably not when you know where the spaceship prop comes from. <laughs> so on animals, Tony Styles simply says, Bellamy. <laughs> Kevin Wilson says, one of my earliest TV memories with a big smiley face. Piers Kirk says, Bellamy, Bellamy, with a laugh out loud. I think there's a bit of a theme there. Mm. Adam Deverell, 
Very strange episode, really. Quite psychedelic. I was slightly traumatised as a kid by the ending when the rabbits were shot by the flower guns, as were we all. Christina Vuke, sorry if I got that wrong, says, one of my favourite episodes. Glenn Hewitt, as always, a fantastic show, guys. It was interesting how you discussed how this series seemed to be more focused on sending up than then current events in TV and film. And as we move on to the next episode, the show almost reverts back to its earlier style. Kevin Wilson says, Richard, I rewatched the LWT series again recently and found it seriously uneven. The robot episode and the final one were pretty poor. I love the football hooliganism and the Bigfoot one's really funny. Well, I think we've certainly agreed that the LWT is quite uneven. He probably got a bit more out of Bigfoot than I did, but... Well, than we did, I think, actually. But there you go. So War Babies, um, Adam Deverell says, uh, didn't think this was as bad as you guys made out. It had some pretty funny scenes. I always found the dismantling of the bomb memorable with Tim's accidental sabotage. And I never really thought Bill being born as Bill or Tim as a baby being too weird. Perhaps I need to watch it again. Or perhaps I just liked it because I really loved World War II and soccer when I was younger. And the Six Million Dollar Man when I think about it. And just to wrap up here, Glenn Hewitt. Great show as always. I enjoyed this episode more than you guys did, but your points are certainly valid. It may not be their strongest effort, but there are some decent laughs in there. The sequence with Jeffrey Palmer was a highlight, as is everything he does, including his small role in Tomorrow Never Dies. Funnily enough, I recently rewatched this after having viewed Darkest Hour. The sequence with Tim and Graham as guards felt very young ones to me, despite predating it by a few years. And finally, and this shows where this was recorded... <laughs> <laughs> Glenn Hewitt wrote in for Snow White 2 and said, Once again, enjoyed the show. Thanks for clarifying the whole ITV WT thing. I was always confused and I had never realised that they were connected to Thames. After hearing your episode, I may have to revisit Snow White 2. Of this series, it's one of the shows I've only seen maybe twice. In fact, I should make an effort to re-watch them all. Well, they are on DVD, so yeah. there's no excuse. Uh, we encourage you to go and have another look. There. They're deserving of another reassessment, I think. Certainly. So thank you to everybody who wrote in and had their comments there, and indeed... Thank you to everybody who has at some point written in or got in touch with us or commented on social media about our podcast. We do appreciate it. And we certainly read every comment. We're now going to move into our personal top tens. So what we're going to do here is I'm about to draw our names in a random order and we're going to each just quickly list our top tens, maybe with a couple of honourable mentions. And then we'll have a look at which one's got four, maybe three nominations and discuss mm-hmm. why they're right at the top. And you know, in suspect in some cases we'll have spent whole episodes talking about why they're good, but we'll see what comes out. So, as I go to my random pieces of paper, the first to do a list is Tom. Hey. One of the interesting things about this, I ran this back at the start, and I reran it again now that we've finished the run. And I've got to say, there's not much difference in the running of the two lists. So. There you go, some background. Okay, number 10, South Africa. Number 9, Radio Goodies. Number 8, The End. 7 was Saturday Night Grease. 6 was Kung Fu Capers. 5 was Kitten Comp. 4 was Bun Fight at the OK Tea Rooms. 3 was Scatty Safari. 2 was Earth and Asia. And number 1 was Scout Rages. I think, I think we knew what number 1 was going to Absolutely. be. Absolutely, I've not been secret for that for the last 12 weeks. So a few classics on there, but I think a few personal choices. Yeah. Let's see how many of those are on other people's lists. And the next candidate is... Me. Uh, look, I made a short list of what I thought was going to be the top 10 and ended up being the top 17. <laughs> so there was a bit of culling that went on. <laughs> Three episodes that, look, I couldn't honestly get into the top 10, but our personal favourites were Music Lovers, 
gender education in Scotland. They're all episodes I'm very fond of. My number 10 was politics. Number nine, animals. BBC animals. BBC animals, that's right. Number eight, I had radio goodies. Number seven, bun fight at the OKT room. Number six, the Stone Age, which I concede may be a very personal choice, but I really like it. In my top five now, number five was your number one, Tom, Scoutrageous. Five. Number four, I had South Africa. Number three, Earth and Asia. My number two, I had You Friend or UFO. And my number one was Invasion of the Moon Creatures. So there you go. Uh, I think some double ups there, but a few personal choices. And just saying that, I'd say a lot of the ones that you mentioned that were different to mine are certainly in that butter zone of honourable mentions. Fair enough. Our next reader is Rob. So at 10, I had The New Office. At 9, I had uh, South Africa. 8 was Scatty Safari. 7 was Scout Rages. 7? 6 was Camelot. Ooh. Five was Radio Goodies. Four was Superstar. Three, it might as well be String. Two was The End. And one was Earth and Asia. Yeah, well, look, you added a few episodes to the list there, Rob, but a yeah. few more are now sitting on three votes, so some overlap there. And our final Who, candidate is... Who is oh, it? Who is it? Mitch <laughs> Richard. Okay, mine, and I've got a few honourable mentions, but we'll do them in a minute. So mine, I'm going to say well, probably the bottom five of mine are in no particular order, but... I think it's not until they get in the upper half, I think. But anyway, I had Pirate Radio Goodies, Superstar, You Friend or UFO, String, Kitten Kong, Scout Rages, Bun Fight at the OKT Rooms, Movies, The End. Anyone want to take a bet what the favourite one is? And my number one is Euthanasia. I did have a couple that I really wanted to find spaces for, and had we been doing, say, a top 20 or top 15, um, look, there'd have been some ones like Lighthouse Keeping Loonies would have been in there. That was definitely my top 15 as well. I felt very bad leaving that out. Yeah, South Africa. Scatty Safari and Punky Business were the ones that probably just missed out. So at the end of that count, we've actually had a full 20 episodes that have got a nomination from someone, which is you know, reassuring to see. Across 76 stories, to get 20 episodes nominated in top 10s is pretty cool. However, in the end, there were three episodes that got a vote from each of us and got four nominations, and another three that got three votes each. So let's have a look at those. Earth and Asia was one of them, and look, let's face it, we said at the time that was the objectively best episode of the oh, goodies. Surprise, so, surprise. Yeah, I, I, think, I think we spent an episode saying why that was awesome, and uh, if you haven't listened to that, we encourage you to go back, because we, we had a lot of fun making that one. Don't listen to us, go and watch it. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> watch it and listen to us at the same time. Another one was Radio Goodies, which, look, given this is the Goodies Pirate podcast, I think is a reflection of the fact that we went into this thinking of Radio Goodies very fondly, but it really is, in my mind, the episode where the goodies just comes together mm. and really becomes the goodies that we know and love. Yep. And the other one was Scoutrageous, which, Tom, it's your favourite, but Yay. we all had it in the top ten. Again, just peak goodies, but very late in the run. Mm. Well, yeah. two, two from season seven? Well, it is, and that's, yeah, uh, I had punky business just outside, so I was saying earlier about yeah. season seven, I think being a really strong season. And the episodes that got three nominations each, South Africa, which, again, I, mm. I'm a big fan of, and I think is probably the best of their social satire. Plus, of course, Philip Maddock. The End got three votes as well. Um, I must have been I left that one off my list, and I, I did enjoy it. And Bun Fight at the OK Tea Rooms, which I think is a very, very funny episode. That's a great episode. So there you go. After 76 episodes, there's some of our personal favourites. So if there's any that you want to go back and have a look at, that's our recommendations. But we also wanted to not just have a look at the absolute classics, but just have a quick discussion about the episodes that perhaps we'd forgotten 
or we'd gone in with very negative opinions and perhaps, as we were saying earlier, wouldn't go back and watch often. But having watched them for the first time in, in some cases, 10, 20 years, mm. actually thought they were much better than we thought. Not top 10s, not classics, but really worthy of re-evaluation. So we'll go in the same order again, and we're not going to do top 10s or anything like this, just mentioned a few. Tom, what have you got? Look, a lot of mine that moved up in my estimation, I think it was just the opportunity to see better copies. Romantics moved up oh, wow. a, a bit. Okay. And again, I think it's getting away from the very cut version that we had here. Lighthouse Keeping Loonies, I remember not liking that a lot growing up, but that one certainly jumped up into an honourable mention in this group. Going the other way, and I do want to mention it, and we're going to harp on about it, and that's high pressure. And seeing that on pay TV, it was a novelty of, oh my God, it's an episode I haven't seen. And then 20 years later, coming back and actually watching it, and I'm thinking, oh dear God, what the hell is it talking about here? <laughs> that dropped significantly in my estimation from uh, memories. Fair enough. Look, I had four episodes that I was really surprised by how much I enjoyed them and have all gone from forgotten or disliked to very fondly regarded. Give Police a Chance was one. I really had very bad memories of that, but I quite enjoyed a lot of it, uh, particularly the performances in, in an early episode. So... That was a surprise for me. I think it's Paul Witts and Jones, really, that makes it that is. one. It is. Uh, Superstar was one that went up in my mind. I think partly, as I said at the time, because we only had very, very poor copies. And seeing that properly again, and perhaps being a bit older and wiser, that was one that I really liked. And I noticed, Rob, that it made your top ten. Hospital for Hire was one that I've really forgotten. And that was really, really good. Great guest performance there from Harry H. Corbett. Really fun, really catchy song. And finally, I want to give a shout-out to an LWT episode, Football Crazy, which I remember as being okay, but watching this back was easily, in my opinion, the best of the ITV episodes, and I really enjoyed it. I actually enjoyed all of it. I know, Richard, you thought it went down in the second half, but I enjoyed all of it. So, yeah, they're four episodes that I probably wouldn't have gone back and watched if it wasn't for this podcast, but I'm glad I have. Rob, what about you? You're up. Well, given what I'd heard about the... Uh... LWT episodes, I was pleasantly surprised that a number of them were better than what I'd heard, so just as a collective shout out to that particular season. Like you Dave, the uh, the hospital episode, being able to watch it again with almost no recollection of it, um, I really enjoyed, especially Corbett's uh, performance. I will go one negative, I know everyone loves Kit and Kong, having watched it again I was underwhelmed by it unfortunately, so look, just looking at the, the list of episodes, there's nothing here that I, otherwise that I've you know changed my mind on, there's a few that I being able to see them again, those that I had fond memories of, I still equally have fond memories. So, yeah. Richard, what about you? Well, quite a few of them have been taken. Superstar was one I did want to give a shout out to, and again, it was that because the copy I initially saw was so poor quality. Being able to watch it properly, that is a very, very strong episode. It is. Um, that's one. I got a lot more probably out of some of the later episodes. Politics was one when I was 10 or 11. I probably didn't get a lot of the, the nuances in it, which I watching it back for this, I thought that was really good. Punky Business was another one. Again, now I'm a bit older and I get a lot of the musical references and stuff in it. Actually, yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. I've got a lot more out of Punky Business this time around. I'm also going to give a shout out to the ITV series because, look, I know we picked on a couple of them, but collectively they were a lot better than I remembered them being. Yeah. Well, there you go. Another set of suggestions for people to go back and hunt down and look hopefully if these are all out on dvd shortly or if you're watching this in the far future if they're now out on a hologrammatic box set or something (laughs) 
Direct, we, uh, direct download to your brain. Yeah, <laughs> anything like that. We hope that you go and look at those ones. So, we've now looked back at 76 episodes of The Goodies. And you know what all I have to say is? I'm really going to miss you guys when this is done because I'm going to make bloody sure I never see any of you ever again. No, that's not true. I've had a real blast doing this. It's been a lot of fun. Look, thank you to everybody who has listened to us. In particular, we know from our social media and comments that there are people who started with us way back at Tower of London and are still here now. So Mm. if you've done this journey with us over the last nearly two years... Would uh, that be... One year, seven months, four days, three hours, five minutes, and 10.3 seconds ago, Dave? Uh, yes, if you've been with us for that journey, thank you You deserve very much. a world domination badge. Yes, anybody who's listened to every episode, thank you very much. But yeah, we, we do appreciate it. Look, we enjoy talking about the goodies, but it's even more fun to know that others are out there sharing our enjoyment with us. Yes, that's true. That has been a thing. Look, I've really enjoyed doing it, but I'm really happy that people have been listening and the more that people have enjoyed it. We need to give a thank you to all those who have guested on our podcast. So Mark, Trace, Brett, Ben and Alison. We will say at this point, although we are now finishing the Goodies Pirate podcast, because we've run out of episodes, this is not the end of our podcast in life. No, we're going back to the start. (laughs) (laughs) If you're a fan of British science fiction, Rich and I are now embarking on a Blake 7 podcast, so check out Spacefall, a Blake 7 podcast, which, who knows, maybe at some point Rob and Tom will stop by to wish us luck. And of course... I am the co-host on the Doctor Who show, which Richard does appearances on as well. And speaking of Doctor Who, Rob, you and Mark, who of course guested on a number of episodes, did the 42 to Doomsday podcast looking back at Doctor Who, uh, which is on hiatus at the moment, but the back catalogue's there if you want to go and check it out. Absolutely. And we will also say that whilst we finish with the goodies, there are other shows that we are very much actively thinking about looking at, uh, depending on when, you know, life allows us to find the time. We are going to take a bit of a break for a few weeks, but we will be back with the first of those very soon. Please don't delete us off your feed. Something might pop up when you least expect it. (laughs) But once again, thank you to everybody for listening to our podcast and thank you to all you guys for being part of this. Yes, thank you, Dave, for hosting. Yes, for putting up with us in your house all these (laughs) these afternoons. What what started as a crazy idea two years ago to do a podcast looking at all the goodies, here we are, we've done it. Yeah, look where it's left us. (laughs) (laughs) Old and rattled. (laughs) Don't look at me, I'm bitter. (laughs) So for the final time, I've been Dave. I've been Tom. I've been Rob. And I've been Richard. And as a final note, if you haven't been watching the Goodies episodes as you've been listening to us, go out and do so immediately. And who knows, on the way, you may just take a walk in the Black Forest. You've been listening to the Goodies Pirate Podcast, the Australian podcast that puts the good in goodies. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please do leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode or your thoughts on upcoming episodes. So please drop us a line by email at pirategoodiespc at gmail.com. Send us a tweet at at pirategoodiespc or find us on Facebook at facebook.com stroke pirategoodiespc. Goodies, goody, goody, yum, yum. That's all, folks.